Let's go to Michael Burgess, who was in Moscow for Radio Sport. Burge, you were at the game yesterday. Mm. What was it like sitting there to watch that penalty shootout, which was very exciting, of course? <laughs> well, I was thinking about this today, how I'd sum up the atmosphere. And I guess if you think about the atmosphere, the, the, the sense of, I don't know, despair and destiny and euphoria at the Rugby World Cup final in Auckland in 2011 and times that by 10 or 20, that's about what you had with, with 25,000 Colombian fans in there. You felt like you are in Bogota, a small pocket of English fans, but knowing that this was their moment, this was their World Cup to change you know, their destiny and the history for generations. And you put all those things together, it was just a, an incredible scene to be part of. Did it feel like the electricity in there, when it went to the, sh- uh, to the, the penalty shootout, did it feel like to you that in those first couple of shots that, that you know, the Colombians felt like they had it and that the English just felt like it was going to fall through the floor for them? It did, and the body language, uh, when the, I was looking across the England dugout, when it went to penalties, you know, they weren't happy about going to penalties, obviously, and their body language and their team huddle didn't look great compared to the Colombians. The Colombians were quite upbeat. They dominated extra time, really, um, and they'd certainly been good in the last 10 minutes of the game itself. The shootout as well was at the end where most of the Colombian fans were, so about probably 15,000 Colombian fans. Well, it was at their end, plus Colombia got to go first. So you put all those things together, and, and England were not feeling... They didn't appear to be confident, even though they've talked about this being a new team and a new generation. And that's how the shootout started, Nate, was that the Colombians started really well, buried their first three penalties before everything got a bit crazy. Gee, Burge, I mean, you look at this England team and they don't have many out-and-out what we would consider world-class players, maybe with the exception of their striker and captain Harry Kane. And so you think about the other guys that have played at World Cups and the expectation that has gone on teams only for them to flop. Very little expectation on this particular team. So regardless of their squad, I guess the ultimate question has to be, do they have the quality to make a genuine run here and go all the way? Well, yeah, that's right. It's a bloody good point, Ken, because if you look at their previous teams, they had a lot more world-class players. Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, there's been so many. This team doesn't really. You put Harry Kane in that category. There might be one more, but there's not many. But they really look... Sorry about the noise. I'm just at a metro station right now. They really look like a team. They've looked unified from the start. Whatever Southgate is doing has worked. And they had managed to kind of get rid of all that baggage that England teams have been famous, infamous for, really. Every tournament they come in with all this baggage, failure and all these other issues. That's all gone. There's no personalities in this team. Uh, they're, they're all united and together. And that's a pretty powerful force. So I certainly think they'll beat Sweden. It'll be close, but they'll, they're too good for Sweden. And then they're in the semifinals and things are going to start to go crazy. I mean, already we're hearing talk of there's a whole lot more fans coming over because there hasn't been many here at all. There's a whole lot of fans flooding over um, and a, a whole lot of journalists. It's going to be very hard to get a... Uh, a desk in the media room anywhere England are playing because the journalists are coming from everywhere. They're so excited. Hey, it, it appears to us and, and to a lot of people, I think, too, that you've got two distinct sides of the draw here now. You've got the strong side over there, side mm. A with Brazil and France, and you've got a weaker side, side B, that being England-Croatia. Is that too simplistic or is it accurate? No, it's accurate, and it's a bit unfortunate. I mean, it happens in World Cups. It's happened before. I remember in other tournaments... Uh, 2002 was an example, but this is one of the worst, not worst, but this is one of the most pronounced I can remember because I've got no doubt that three of the best four teams left are all on one side 
And I also think it's most likely that the winner is going to come from one side. I mean, look at Brazil-Belgium, the quarterfinal. That could be a final. Uh, I certainly think Brazil, France and Belgium are three of the best teams left in the draw. Uruguay's not far behind them. So there is, England is on the softer side of the draw, which puts England and Croatia in a really good position because they'll be thinking, gee, we can make the final here. And then once you're in a final, as we all know, seen over the years in all kinds of football finals, anything can happen. But, but yeah, the quality is on the other side which is a bit of a shame, really, for a purist, because it means that a couple of really good football teams, really good teams, are going to miss out on a World Cup final. Um, we we had our um, Merv, the Massport mower, uh, before that started, and Pierre put down a whole lot of paper with flags, and he came out with Sweden, choosing Sweden as the pick, and the, the <laughs> mower has gone much better so far, and this is all on video. We got this a couple of weeks before the World Cup started, so he's done better than that, that poor octopus, so that, that met its end there. Uh, there. What about the Swedish hopes at all? How do they engineer this to get themselves the win past England? I mean, or do they have to engineer something? I mean, do they have the quality to just beat them flat out? Well, they've already achieved a miracle, Nate. I mean, this is a pretty modest Swedish team, but they, um, in their qualifying group, they had Holland in their qualifying group. They kicked Holland out, so they finished second year of Holland. Holland was gone. In the playoffs, they beat Italy. That's why Italy's not there, because of Sweden. And Sweden have got no big players, really, at all, compared to previous Swedish teams. Um, Zetan Ibrahimovic offered to come back from retirement once they qualified. He's the best player of the modern era. The coach said, no thanks. No thanks, mate. We're, we're fine with who we've got. And he didn't want to disrupt the team spirit. A lot of Swedish press thought, press thought that was crazy because he's such a good player. But that's been a masterstroke. A team of no names, but they keep, they keep doing the business. So... Look, they'll be confident. They've beaten England before in big tournaments, and they, they always back themselves to have the mentality to get under the English skin. But I do think this England team's a bit different, and their belief and their confidence and their momentum will carry them through. And they've just got that extra touch of class, especially in the final third for Sweden. So I certainly hope England win. I think Sweden being in the semifinals would, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be too good football-wise. Mm. Now, Michael Burgess, we've also sent you out on assignment to yeah, try as many delicacies as you can, food and beverage-wise. Are you meeting your obligations? Well, uh, yeah, it's funny you say that because I ended up uh, tonight in a restaurant run by a uh, whole family from, um, how do I say this, uh, one of the stands, um, <laughs> Tug- Tug- Turkestan? Not Kurdistan, Kazakhstan, the, the, the TA... T-A-J-I-K, Tajikistan. Tajikistan, That's the best of the stands. Yeah. I, okay, right. I've never met, never met anyone from Tajikistan. So I met the whole family. There was uh, four sisters, the brother uh, doing the cooking, three sisters, the waitresses. Um, excellent food. Um, so that was a, a good adventure. And then I'm actually catching a train in about an hour to Kazan. Mm. It takes uh, 13 hours. I'm in, I think I'm in second or third class. So hopefully that goes okay. But anyway, the specialty in Kazan is apparently horse. Hey! That people eat there. So I'm, I I personally won't be in the spirit of Bone Crusher, Waverly Star. Sure, sure. I, won't be, I won't be indulging. Oh, I'll I imagine. Won't be indulging, but I'll try and find someone who will. So oh, I can tell you about Jason Pine ate guinea pig. Yeah, I've eaten rat. you got to try, but you got to manger le cheval. Well, no, that's, that's not even Russian. But you know what I mean. It'll be a slow cooked thing, I'd imagine. But I've never had a sporting hero that was a guinea pig or a, or a hamster. <laughs> but the horses, you know. It's, yeah, uh, fair enough. That's, that, that that's the issue here. That's yeah. a good point. Just but. don't get off the train early, mate. You'll end up in Pakistan. That's, yeah, yeah. It's whoo, the war long You don't want to be Dagestan. Yeah. Right. Do a good Reuben sandwich in Kazan, too. It probably mm. is horse meat. And they bring it out and they lift up the little dish up. And... 
Bon Appetito! Hey.